We've had Johnny Cash, Elvis Presley, Frank Sinatra. I don't feel old anymore. <laughs> this is all music from my time. So uh, we're going to be taking a look at our next series, our next message in the series, Outdated. And I invite you to go to Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 30. Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 30, where we're going to be learning about loving and leading like Jesus. Now, Pastor Daniel, relationships are his passion. I don't know if you noticed that. Those of you who were here last week, he gets kind of passionate about this topic. It's not my passion. Um, not to say it's not important. It's extremely important. Um, but it's not my passion. I think part of the reason is is I got beat up by this message, putting it together. So as I'm sharing this with you, husbands, uh, I'm sharing the pain, okay? Because there's a lot in here that just as wives were called to certain roles and obeying scripture last Sunday, well, guys, it's our turn this Sunday. Although there's parts of this message most definitely that applies to everyone, okay? Now, you may remember from last week Pastor Daniel asked a question. Wives, should you make your husbands a sandwich? All right, you may remember that, but that was the topic that came up as he introduced the message. Well, we're gonna continue, uh, turn about as fair play, so we're gonna continue that same question, but this time, we're gonna address it to the husbands. Guys, should you make your wife a sandwich? Very good. <laughs> Answer, make her a great sandwich, as you can see in this picture. What in the world does that have to do with Ephesians chapter five? It simply has this to do, okay? That kind of illustrates what Paul is describing for how husbands should treat their wives. Love your wives, Paul is gonna tell us, just like Christ loves his bride, the church. So the main idea of these six verses that we're gonna be looking at this morning is Jesus shows and teaches us the truth about love. Now it's interesting, as we're gonna find, you can actually split these six verses into two parts. First part, Jesus will be showing by what he did for his church the depth of his love for us, the bride of Christ, the church. And in the second part, verses 28 to 30, Jesus teaches us about love through what Paul is going to remind us. And even though Paul is obviously the author of all of these verses, there are certain things that Paul is going to bring up in verses 28 to 30 that build upon things that Jesus said about love. Okay? So, before we get into that though, let's go ahead and first of all do a quick review, all right? Because, you know, when we're going through a book like Ephesians, we have to focus upon certain passages of scripture one at a time, but then it's very easy for us to get so concentrated on just a few verses that we miss the bigger picture. Sort of like we get so focused on the trees, we forget about the forest. So let's take a bigger view for just a moment. First of all, 
What Paul is telling us here is anchored in Christian relationships. That's why we're calling this series Beyond Outdated. We're focusing upon Christian relationships. So for example, if you go back earlier, what Paul wrote earlier in chapter five of Ephesians, we're gonna find that Christian relationships are actually founded upon three things. And I wanna touch on those very quickly. First of all, if you read with me verses 15 and 16, here's the first thing our relationships are to be founded upon. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. First of all, we only have so much time and none of us knows how long that is. So we want a careful spiritual lifestyle in our relationships. We want people to recognize that we're somebody who's dedicated to the Lord by how we live, all right? That's not gonna happen unless the next thing takes place. So look down at verse 18 now. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery or dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. When we got saved, we were born again through the Holy Spirit. But subsequent to being born again by the Holy Spirit, there's multiple times in scripture that we're told that the early Christians were filled with the Spirit. Meaning that they turned over more of their lives to the Holy Spirit. So unless we have this ongoing filling of the Spirit where we are yielding ourselves to the Spirit and asking Him to control us, to fill us, to take away our sin, help us to live lives that please Him, we will not have Christ-centered relationships. And the third important idea is what Pastor Daniel touched upon last week, and that's verse 21. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Mutual submission is key. As I told first service, that verse is the hinge point of this entire passage. Everything beginning at verse 15, going all the way into chapter six as well, everything, guys, turns upon what Paul says in verse 21. Mutual submission is important, and here's why it's important. It's based upon the fact that in Jesus, we are spiritual equals with one another. Paul tells us that when he wrote to the Galatians in Galatians chapter three, verses 27 and 28, where he says there, we are now one in Christ. We are baptized into Christ. There is neither, and he goes through all of these divisions that they had in the ancient world. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither Greek nor non-Greek. There's neither male nor female. All these divisions that they had, Paul says that's all in the past. We are now one in Christ. And being one in Christ means we're spiritually equal in Christ and we have a desire to honor one another. That's part of mutual submission. So when Paul wrote to the Philippians, chapter two of that letter, verses three and four, he says there, if you have anything in common in Christ, have the same attitude that Jesus had himself. 
Honor one another above yourself. That's the foundation, part of it, to relationships. Specifically, last week, Daniel took us through the next several verses where wives were called to submit to their husbands. So let's look at that real quick. A wife's submission to her husband, we were told, is a voluntary choice. She does this as to the Lord. In other words, when a wife submits, she's doing it because that's what Jesus wants her to do. Now, it's interesting. Paul says here, submit, but he doesn't say obey. And I want us to catch the distinction because later on, when Paul is talking to children, he says there, children, obey your parents. And then later, when he's talking to slaves, because a lot of Christians back in the ancient world were slaves, he tells the slaves, we would think of it as employees, he tells them, obey your masters or your as we would think, your boss or supervisor. Why doesn't he say wives obey? It's because wives and husbands are spiritually one. Remember this? According to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, when the Lord brought Eve to Adam, Adam said, this is now flesh in my flesh, bone of my bone. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Therefore, um, the wife and the man shall leave their households and become one. We are spiritually one. We are redeemed, both of us by Christ. We are spiritual equals. So it's a different role for the wife as compared to the role for the children, or as compared to the role for employer-employees. Now, if you wanted to summarize everything that Paul says about husbands and wives, John Stott, he captured it in his book. He says this, summary of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 33. Wives are to submit, husbands are to love. Now, how husbands are to love, that's what we're going to focus on now. So read with me, beginning at verse 25 of Ephesians chapter 5 through verse 30. Let's take a look at God's word. Husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish or blameless. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because... We are members of his body. Okay, a couple of quick facts. Notice three times Paul tells us, love your wives, love your wives, 
love your wives. The first time, it's a command. It's what's called by the Greek scholars a present imperative. Present means it's an ongoing command. It's an ongoing choice that a husband makes to love his wife. Feelings have nothing to do with this, by the way. This is a willful choice, okay? And the second is the word for love that's used here because Paul could have picked from any one of a number of Greek words for love. We basically just have the word love, but the Greeks had all kinds of different words for love. The word he chooses is one that a lot of us have heard about before, and that is agape. Agape was kind of a colorless, meh, type of word before the early Christians got a hold of it. And the early Christians packed that word agape with meaning. Because agape in the New Testament, it's a selfless, dedicated commitment. It gives regardless of what it receives in return. This is the kind of love that Jesus gives us Regardless of our response back, he still loves us, even though obviously, as we all know, we mess up. That does not change the reality of his love. And that we're told in places like Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, agape love, the love of God in Christ. That's the word he's using here for husbands to love. So, how should husbands love their wives? Two steps. The first step is in verses 25 to 27. And that is, Paul is telling us, love your wife like Christ loves his church. What did Jesus do for his bride, the church? Well, let's kind of just take it phrase by phrase because it's a beautiful, beautiful picture of the kind of love that he gives us, okay? First of all, first thing Paul says, he gave himself up for her. Jesus gave himself up for us, his church. It's the same phrase that Paul used at the very beginning of this chapter, Way back, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 5, where Paul wrote this, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ get loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He took the initiative. We don't love Jesus because we chose first to love Jesus. We love Jesus because he chose first to love us. He chose to do this. I like what the Lord himself says in John 10, 45, describing his own person. He says, for even the son of man, that's Jesus's favorite title for himself, came not to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. Ransom means he paid our debt, okay? And then he told his disciples 
the night before he went to the cross, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. And a few hours later, Jesus did exactly that. Not just for his disciples, but for each and every one of us. So the first thing we see about Jesus' love, he gave himself up for his bride. Letter B, in the notes, my notes, it says in the scriptures, he might sanctify her. Sanctify simply means to set apart. It means to dedicate. When we got saved, we were set apart and dedicated to God. As we grow in our salvation, gradually more and more we grow in that sanctification, that dedication. Then it says next, having cleansed her. You know, cleansing, we immediately think, of course, of something like water, okay? And you might be thinking also of baptism. And a lot of the older commentators, when they see this word cleanse, they think, oh, Paul is referring to baptism. And he very well might be referring to baptism, but guys, the word picture is so much greater than that. Because when we go into the Old Testament and we start to look at passages that describe this new covenant that was gonna happen to Israel, and not just to Israel, but to everybody in the church, You look at a passage like, for example, Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 to 27, and there it talks about this cleansing. Read it with me. I will sprinkle, it's God speaking to Israel, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. In other words, your sins will be gone under the new covenant. From all your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, stone because they were so resistant to what God wanted them to do, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It all starts because God cleaned us up. Titus 3, 5, Paul writes this about the same idea. He, that's Jesus, saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done. Have we ever done a thing that was totally righteous before God? If you think you have, you're wrong. Because Isaiah 64, 6 says, Our righteous acts are as filthy rags before God. Paul says in Romans chapter 3, there is none of us that is righteous. No, not one. He cleansed us. He saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his what? Mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus didn't just simply take the initiative and give himself up for us. He also cleaned us up. When each and every one of us were born again, we got cleaned up. And by the way, we were cleaned up through, Paul says, the word. The word is the gospel. The word is God's truth. 
That as we study, as we meditate upon that truth, we're reminded of our sins and we confess those sins before the Lord. Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, verse 11. And the word that we confess, that if we acknowledge Jesus as Lord and that God has raised him from the dead and we believe that with all our heart, we shall be saved. That's the word of the gospel. But you know what? The coolest part of this list of how Jesus loves his church is the part that we really have not experienced yet. So read it with me, okay? Beginning at verse 27. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Linda and I had the privilege, and I cannot remember, dear, how many years it's been, forgive me. It's been a while. We had the privilege of getting married in this building, 1984. So if you can do the math, you can figure out how long it's been. I still remember watching her coming down that aisle. She was a beautiful, she is beautiful, okay? She was a gorgeous, beautiful bride. One day, we, the church, will stand before the bridegroom, Jesus himself. And the thing is, Jesus is the one that's going to clean us up. Jesus is the one who makes sure that we will be spotless, without a wrinkle, without any blemish, faultless. Not because of anything that we have done, simply because his blood cleanses us from every sin. And we will stand before Jesus when he comes back. I love how Paul expressed this in Colossians. Colossians 1, verses 22 to 20, 21 to 22, it says this. And you... That's not just the Colossians, that's all of us. Who were once alienated and hostile and mild, doing mind, doing evil deeds, he has reconciled in the body of his flesh by his death. In order that to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. When are we going to be holy, blameless, above reproach? when we stand before Jesus. Right now, the church can look pretty scruffy, right? Frankly, yeah. Scruffy, beat up, bedraggled. But not then. Not then. And something will happen when that takes place called the wedding feast of the Lamb, the wedding supper of the Lamb, and that is going to be glorious probably even have cheeseburgers or something far better, right? I'll let you look up sometime if you want uh, a reference here. The book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 10 to 14. Ezekiel 16, 10 to 14. That's a portion of scripture 
where the Lord finds Israel in this story. And Israel is basically an abandoned child left to die right after birth. And the Lord finds this child and the Lord adopts the child, takes care of the child, cleans up the child, meets that child's every need. And when that child grows up and becomes an adult, in beautiful language in verses 10 to 14, that child who is now a woman is beautifully clothed by the Lord himself and is married to the Lord. It's a wonderful picture of the future we have in Christ. Now, guys, if you put this all together, the bottom line that we see here in these verses 25 to 27 is this. Jesus held nothing back for his bride, the church. He gave it all. Husbands, that's our model. You know, it's interesting in John chapter 13, verse 1, where Jesus knows the next day he's going to the cross. And John 13, 1, it tells us there that knowing what was up ahead, that his hour had come, the hour for his death had come, Jesus loved them to the end. Meaning, he gave it all. He was going to die in just a matter of hours, not just for his disciples, but for all of us. Now, I don't know about the rest of you guys, but frankly, right now, I am feeling totally overwhelmed and inadequate. So I'm so thankful, frankly, for the next three verses. Because the next three verses, I mean, the Lord sets an incredibly high standard, and I know, and probably you guys feel the same, it's like, I can't meet that standard. Not a chance. And by the way, we never will meet it even close unless we depend upon the Lord's strength. If you're going to try to love your wife as Jesus loves the church in your own strength, it won't happen. But the second step that we're going to see now, looking at verses 28 to 30, it gives us some understanding about how we can do this. So let's look at these next several verses. First of all, the second step, love your wife as you love yourself. Now that might sound weird, but let's read the scriptures and then we'll discuss it. Here we go. Starting at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Okay? Now, it sounds weird. I don't know if it's how you guys feel this, but I definitely feel this. It sounds weird to be told we're supposed to love someone as we love ourselves, because my way of thinking, I think, uh, isn't that loving myself? Isn't that selfish? I thought we weren't supposed to love ourselves. It can be selfish, but what if it's not self-centered? What if this love is focused upon someone else? 
Because guys, if you look at these verses, it's not focused upon us. It's focused upon the most important person that the Lord has placed in our lives other than himself. You know, it's interesting. When a lawyer asked Jesus, what is the greatest command in scripture? This is what Jesus said, all right? In Matthew 22, the lawyer says, teacher, which command and the law is the greatest? And he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. But then Jesus threw in the other one. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Who is our closest neighbor other than our spouse? Right? Obviously, it has to be the person that God has placed in our lives. That's our nearest neighbor. So if we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, our love is not going to be focused upon our needs, our wants. Our love is going to be focused upon that other person that God has placed in our lives. It's interesting in Song of Solomon, and by the way, Song of Solomon is really, really cool, but it's like, woo okay? It's, uh, you know, I don't know if I want to preach in Song of Solomon. It's free, okay. Um, maybe you guys will get curious and want to read it. But it's interesting in Song of Solomon that describes the beauties of married love between a husband and a wife where the husband is talking about his wife and he calls her friend. That's the word that can also be translated in the Hebrew neighbor. You catch the implication? This is an exclusive kind of love that Jesus is talking about. Okay? Now, there's lots of ways we can express this love, and, give, and Scripture gives us some ideas about it. For one, Jesus says this in Matthew 7, 12. A lot of people call this the golden rule. It says, so whatever you wish that others would do for you, do also for them, for this is the law and the prophets. Kind of covers a lot of stuff, doesn't it? All right, so that gives us an idea of what kind of love we're supposed to be practicing. Now, I got to tell you, in our marriage, Linda and myself, I'm the morning person, she's not. I woke up at four o'clock this morning, I'm happy, 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 okay? By three o'clock, I will not be, all right? But she's not really a morning person, so one of the things that I do for her to express my love, I make the morning coffee. And I will bring it into her. Sometimes I bring it into her too early and then she's not happy with me. <laughs> also, I tend to be the one who makes breakfast on Saturdays, okay? Because I enjoy doing that. Now, I have to admit, both of those practices I got from my father, who also was a morning person and my mother was not. But the point is, is the Lord is leaving it pretty wide open for us to understand what this love is supposed to be. And then catch this, what Paul wrote in Romans 13, 10. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Remember that. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So the times we're tempted, husband and wives, to do something that we know we really should not do, to say something we really should not say, guess what? 
We're not acting in love. Okay? Now, as we start to kind of wrap this up, there are two counterfeits to this kind of love that husbands are supposed to show to their wives, two counterfeits that we need to touch on, okay? And please understand, as I go through this, I'm trying to be as firm, but also as loving and gracious as I can be, but we gotta call things what they are. The first counterfeit for husbands loving their wives, we'll call that domination. Domination. Acting like a tin pot tyrant to our wife and family is not love. In other words, if we're insisting that, hey, because I'm the man, I'm the guy, you guys gotta do what I say, you gotta obey me, that's not acting in love. And there's some warning signs, if we think about it, that we have crossed the line into domination. Let me just throw some questions at you to think about. Guys, do you need to get the last word in an argument? Or you can't, or can you just simply leave things and move on? Or do you have to get that last dig in? That's a warning. When was the last time you apologized to your wife? For some of us, it may have been quite a while. Do you value your wife's insights and opinions? This is one I had to learn, and God is still working, because quite frankly, Linda's a whole lot smarter than I am. And guys, we need to value that person that the Lord has put in our life, okay? A couple of scriptures to help us out on this. First of all, Colossians chapter three says a lot of the same stuff that Paul is telling the Ephesians, but catch this one thing that he includes here that he didn't say in Ephesians. Colossians 3.19, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. If we fall under that second part, we're falling into domination. How about this? Philippians 4.5, let your gentleness be evident to everyone, the Lord is near. That word, our Bibles translate as gentleness, it's the same word Jesus used to describe himself in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. He said there he is gentle and lowly of heart. So you can be gentle and be strong. The other problem or counterfeit we can run into, and maybe this one is even a little more common today, is passivity. Now, Pastor Daniel and Annie talked about this one, so we already heard a little bit about it, but passivity, it means acting like a doormat for our wife and family is not love. If we just simply wanna go along with the flow and not stand up for anything, that's not love. That's being a wimp. So warning signs, if we're falling into passivity, guys, are you actively involved in discipling your kids? Are you just kind of pushing that off on your wife or somebody else? 
Do you pray with your kids? Do you read the Bible with your kids? Do you pray for your kids? Are you careful about what you say, what you do around your kids and your wife? Are you prioritizing the things of God in your home? That means sometimes we've got to make tough calls. So for example, sports, a lot of times, uh, if you're into sports at all, you guys know that there are, of course, a lot of leagues and things like that, that they just hold sporting events all the time while church is going on. We gotta make a choice. Are we gonna do the physical thing or are we gonna do the spiritual thing? A good scripture to remember on passivity to help us not to fall into that trap is what Joshua told the nation of Israel. Near the end of his life, Joshua, the leader that helped them through God's help conquer the promised land, Joshua said this to the Israelites, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the opposite of being passive. That's taking a stand, regardless of what our culture around us says. God's called us and expects us to exercise spiritual leadership in our homes. It's not fair, guys, if we push that off upon our wives. All right, some final questions to wrap this up. First question, since a lot of this message has been directed at us husbands, something we need to ask ourselves, what needs to change in our lives? Maybe there's this particular area that we know and we've been reminded of through the scripture, we're messing up. Are we willing to change? Maybe it's in our marriage, maybe it's in our family. Will you seek the Lord's presence so you can change. Because even if guys were, have every good intention of making things right, of changing things, without God's help, rely on our own strength, it's not gonna work. The Lord has to help us. And we have to swallow our pride and ask Jesus to help us. And wives, and by the way, everyone else with the second one, what needs to change so that you can be a better wife or follower of Jesus. Because guys, this isn't just addressed at the husbands. Just like the submit to your husbands thing that Pastor Daniel was speaking about wasn't just addressed to the wives. Some of the scripture deals with all of us. How can we be a better follower of Jesus? Will we seek the Lord's presence again so that we can be a better follower of Jesus? So God becomes very much more the center of our home. And we're seeking as a family to walk with the Lord. That's the challenge for all of us. So, as Nate plays.